over and over. Extreme self-examination. And this becomes a tool of the enemy to falsely accuse. Memories can accuse the self. Feelings can accuse the self. You're not forgiven. Would a, would a real Christian do something like what you're doing right now? You're not pure. You're not wanted. You're not valuable. You're not useful to anyone. If this person you were talking to right now knew the real you, they wouldn't be your friends with you for two seconds. They'd withdraw the right hand of fellowship. Ever get those thoughts in your head? Those are the schemes of the enemy attacking Christians. We've heard some horror stories in the adoption community. There was a, there was a person who spoke the native language of an adopted child in a family. And come to find out that person was speaking this word into that kid's life unbeknownst to the parents because they didn't speak the language. These white people will never love you like your own. You're not really a part of their family. And on and on it went. There happened to be another person there that spoke the language. If you adopt a kid who understands a language that you don't, <laughs> guard against that. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's the way the enemy comes at it. Is it true? It's of course not true. How do you battle against that? You run to mom and dad. You say, am I really loved by you? Am I a part of this family? And you get reassurance. And he embraces you. Come to Jesus is what the song we just sang was. He will embrace you in his arms. All right. It also comes on this very point of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. I think what's in view here is not justification, but sanctification. Justification is that miracle moment when you yield your life and God floods your life with truth and you become a Christian. In that moment, you are given righteousness. It's imputed to you. In exchange for your filthiness, in exchange for your poverty, you're in a moment given sonship status. You're in a moment made a daughter of the king. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's an exchange. It's a free gift. It's called eternal life in places in Scripture. That's justification. From that moment on, you are on a journey of being formed into the very image of Christ. You're on a journey of walking in holiness. It happens slowly in times and in giant steps in other times. You begin to see that Christ is forming in you His very image. And it's an exciting, difficult ongoing process that you'll do until the day that you die. I don't think he has justification in mind because later we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. The salvation, I think, that's in view there is justification. So I think what's in view here is sanctification. So when it says the breastplate of righteousness and it's going to guard us against the accuser, it's a good question to say, how does that guard us against being, um, being accused and whose righteousness are we talking about anyways? There's an amazing song by a band called Shane and Shane, two guys named Shane. And they, uh, they wrote this song called Embracing Accusation. And this song, I just, it moves me every single time I, I hear it. I listened to it a couple times this week. And in this song, it, it, it lays out this story, and I've heard them do this live and share the story. There was a moment where we were in a hotel room doing some concert gig somewhere. And I was alone in my room, 
And all of a sudden I was flooded with, with images and thoughts that said this. You cannot live the way God wants you to live. Cursed is everyone who does not keep the law of God. You can't even keep a few of the commandments, much less all ten. And this guy was going deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole. Been there? That's a bad place to be. Unless, and here it is, ready? He's taking this on. He's soaking this in. And here's what he does in this moment. He stands firm. He resists the devil. And here's how the song goes. He says, the devil is singing over me an age-old song tonight. Cursed is everyone who can't measure up. Cursed is everyone who can't live according to the law. And then he says this. You know what? He's right. Embracing accusation. You say, wait a minute. You just agreed with the father of lies? How could that be? Because he knows the rest of the story. The enemy will come to you with half-truths. And here's where the song gets amazing. He says he's forgotten the refrain. And it belts it out. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's our song. That's the chorus that we sing over and over and over. You'll never measure up. You can't do this. You're not useful. You're not pure. That's just the first verse. Do not forget the chorus. That's our song, people. That's the song of the redeemed. Jesus saves. Jesus became the curse on the tree for us in our place so that we could have the very righteousness of God. Don't wait. Hallelujah's right. Don't wait to schedule an appointment with a pastor to tell you that. Go to your Word. Be so enveloped in the Word that you know this. This is an attack from the enemy. This is an accusation. It's false. It's a person saying in a, in a native lying tongue, you'll never belong to this family. You're not like them. You're nothing like them. And it's false. Oh, I think we could get by so much stuff So much junk if we could just figure this out. Jesus saves. I do not save myself. How important is the breastplate to a soldier? I mean, think about this. You're going out into battle in a time when there's swords coming at you. What does the breastplate guard? Yeah, the most important vital organs that you possess. The breastplate gets its name from the front part, but it goes before and it follows behind. There are many scriptures that talk about the Lord doing that for us. He goes before and He guards us from the rear. The breastplate offered neck to thigh coverage. In modern day SWAT team terminology, we might talk about a bulletproof vest. If you're going into a hostage situation, if you think you're going to get shot at, you're going to put on a bulletproof vest, right? You want that thing covering you. 
This thing went even more. It went, it covered, it covered more. It, it was, it was there for you. How important? It was vastly important. The righteousness protects us in this way. Listen to 2 Timothy, or I mean, uh, to Titus chapter 2. Before I read this, mind you, Christ's righteousness is given to us. Sanctification is our righteousness growing from this seed that's implanted in us. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. We don't muster up more peace. Ever tried to muster up peace? If you're trying to muster up peace, you're anxious. You're worrying. What are you doing when you're mustering up peace? You're worried that you can't muster up more peace. I mean, that's a fool's errand. Don't do that. That's just a fruit. That just grows out of a life that's submitted and yielded to the Spirit of God. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That's justification. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Listen for justification now. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You hear it? Salvation to all people has already been done. That's justification. But then it's training us. He's training us to renounce ungodliness and to live upright, godly lives in this present age. It trends upward in some different ways. Ephesians 6, 3, we read this earlier. Obey your parents' children so that it may go well with you. You talk to a Christian, you find out they're a Christian, their worldly life may have gone in a little bit of a downward spiral, especially if you're in a country where you're persecuted, right? Gee, I lost my job, I'm now persecuted and scorned in the market, and my family's getting death threats. So when we talk about that it may go well with you, you need to look at a spiritual uptrend. You talk to anyone who's been given a heart of flesh that had a heart of stone, eyes that can see that, that were once blinded. You talk to them. How's your life going? Man, I shouldn't be telling you terrible, but it's going amazing. Let me tell you about it. I'll tell you what that is. That's a converted person. A person who's been in contact and knows the living God. And they say, man, let me just tell you about these different strongholds that he's breaking left and right in my life. By the way, I lost my job. Things are going terrible here. Uh, you know, and I got a flat tire. But it's all good. I mean, I'm thrilled with what God's doing with me. That's the upward trend that goes on with it. We're told in Scriptures to guard our hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. That sounds poetic and nice sometimes until you think about the fact that you're in a battle. How do you guard your heart? You have the breastplate of righteousness. You walk in the truths. You walk in the path of Christ. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That's how you're guarded in going forward. John chapter 15, Jesus talking, he says this, beautiful passage, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, whoever does that, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's my question for you you're going to chew on as a group. Are you abiding in the true vine, Jesus? If you're abiding in any other vine, it will not produce the things of Christ. Jesus will not be being produced in you. If you are abiding in Him, He will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. How's the harvest? What fruit bears witness to this fact that you're abiding in Christ? Moving on, verse 15 talks about what I would call gospel cleats. 
Okay, it's shoes for your feet that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. All of that to say cleats. We have shoes for every different occasion in the world here in America. No athlete would go onto a court without the proper shoes. They get smoked like that. No one would step onto a field without their feet being equipped in the way that they need to be equipped. Satan is offensive. Satan will come at you like a six six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound linebacker. Now I recognize a linebacker is a defensive position, but go with it, okay? Satan is offensive in this way. He is coming at you. He's not waiting for you to bring the battle to him. He is attacking. He is coming after you. He wants to destroy you. He's in a bad mood. He wants to break you in half. Uh, this will show up in your life. Let me give you an example. I was going to meet someone at a taqueria probably last year sometime. I'm walking into the taqueria. Someone's selling something outside. I don't even know what they're selling, but I came walking up. I've never seen this person in my life. And as I'm walking into the doors of the building, uh, I had been praying without ceasing that day. I just am in, in an ongoing conversation with the Lord. I don't think I was praying in that exact moment. But as I was going to meet with this person, I was just saying, Lord, what do you want for this, for this time? I don't want to squander this time. I want what you have for it. So whatever it is, I'm just yours. I'm just letting him know this on the way over. That's what, that's what praying without ceasing looks like. As I walk and get closer, this person looks directly at me. I tend to engage people and smile at people. That's my normal pattern. I just do that. I look at this person and smile. And here's what this person said with a deadpan look on his face. No one wants your Jesus here. Go away. By the time he finished go away, I was halfway in the door. And for some reason, it took a second or two to kind of just settle in what just went on. You know what that is? That's an offensive enemy coming after me. That will happen to you. Offensive enemies come and do things, sometimes manifesting in something kind of like that, where you go, hmm, life is a battleground. It's not a playground. That's a stark reminder of that. So, bold frontal attacks. Aren't those easier to spot than kind of the the sneak attack, right? I mean, if a quarterback's back there and there's a big old linebacker coming at him and he sees him, he's going to cover up the ball, he's going to brace, or he's going to run if he's got some feet under him. He's going to try and get away. I'll tell you what's just painful to watch. And we had a friend in our youth group who was third-string quarterback for the Cowboys, and I asked him one time on the practice squad, I said, what does it feel like to have a defensive lineman laying on your back after he's hit you. He said, it feels like you're going to die. And this is a big, strong guy. He goes, honestly, you've never, and you've never felt pain like this. When you're laid back and you're focused on your receiver and you're about ready to let go, pow! Sneak attack. You never saw him coming. Safety blitz from the corner just takes him out. The sneak attack in the Christian battle, goes something like this. Sometimes there are people who are hyper-focused on the non-essentials. You know what those things lead to? Cults. That's a sneak attack from the enemy. Planting this little splinter in your mind that you say, but but what about this? And you keep focusing on this minor point. Pretty soon everyone's drinking Kool-Aid and it's a bad scene. That's where cults start from. Many of them start with with Bible-professing, even Bible-teaching leaders that have been led astray. Half-truths. So, we're given cleats, sandals. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
The, the shoes that would have been worn looked nothing like the Nikes that we might put on today. But what they were was leather sandals, and they had little studded pieces of nails for traction, right? Just like we would have cleats, that's what they would, that's what they would dress up as. <clears throat> so what makes you stable? Here it is. It's a good grip on the gospel. It's having a good grip on the gospel. You must be so familiar with the gospel. Comfortable so that you can stand firm when you're attacked. When someone comes and sings over you the first verse of the song, of the Redeemer's song, you know the gospel so well, you've got traction to stand firm, right? You're not pushed out of the way. You don't go into a rugby scrum with flip-flops. You'll get bowled over every time. You dig in. You've got a firm grip on the gospel. It gives you traction when you're tempted, when you're attacked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Look at this. It says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance... Here's what's first important. Here's the major to major on. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And He goes on to lay it out some more. How important is it that you know and understand the real Gospel? Vastly important. It's at the core of it. It's such a great defense against being unbalanced, being able to be a pushover, a little Christian pushover, because you're not rooted and grounded. Here's my question for you as groups. Do you have a good grip on the gospel? Are you ready and actively sharing with others and holding fast to it, the gospel yourself? Opposites of that are morality and the, and, and the like. This leads us to the next, the shield of faith in verse 16. Matthew chapter 4 says this, is the enemy talking. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he starts to quote Scripture at Jesus. Satan will come and misrepresent and outright lie. The word if is a word that wants to cause doubt. Did God really say? That's back in Genesis, people. That's at the very beginning. Did God really say... When he comes to Jesus, he actually takes Scripture and twists it and misrepresents it. Verse 16 gives us an indication to something. Look at it in verse 16. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. All circumstances means this. He's not a respecter of your positions, and he's not a respecter of your vacation. He's not a respecter of the fact that you really need a little time out right now. This doesn't work in war either, right? Hey, we're running low on water over here. Could you just hold, hold it down a little bit? We're super thirsty. That's, that's not how warfare works. In all circumstances, in fact, probably when you're at your pinnacle and you think you're doing great, you might be your most vulnerable. And second might be when you're, when you're at your down in the dumps and you've got nothing going on and, and, and you feel like ready to, to throw the, the, the towel in. It then says all the flaming darts of the evil one, indicating that they come from a variety of sources. Let me throw a few out that I thought of. Fear, sickness, confusion, filthy words that come out to you. Doubt from those who don't respect or love the King of Kings. I want you to do this once in a while. When you have these thoughts come at you, when you have a conversation come at you, it may not be quite as blatant as Takaria guy, but 
You might have something come at you, a thought come into your mind. You're sitting in church even. You ever be sitting in church? And here's what I want you to ask. Where did that come from? I mean, that thought I'm having right now, where did that arrive from? That's a flaming missile. You're under attack. When I'm under attack just from the Nerf wars that I have in my house, I duck. And these things do not hurt. You can shoot me in the face with it. They don't hurt. But I duck and I run because I know I'm under attack. And yet sometimes people will sit under full attack and go, oh, I want to engage that a little bit. Let's talk about that. Did God really say? Let's discuss and dialogue. Instead of being under attack and, and getting behind your shield. Hebrews tells us this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. An indication of how vastly important faith is. So we have a shield. The shield we're talking about here would have been somewhere between uh, almost like a like like two feet wide by four feet high. It's basically carrying a door around. That's the kind of shield we're talking about. This isn't the little round one that you had, you know, in combat. This is like a riot gear uh, shield, right? When you hide behind this thing, you can get your whole body behind this thing, and it would have been made of possibly wood, sometimes leather that's been dipped in water. It's been dipped in water so that when a flaming arrow comes, it extinguishes it. That's a picture of what your faith is. That's why a preacher, a pastor worth the salt is going to say, and ground yourself in faith. Know what you have your faith really in. Please don't let it be on a card that's torn up somewhere on the ground of some coliseum from 1973. Please don't let it be in some charismatic preacher that you knew that, that might be tempted to fall. Let it be grounded in the finished work of Christ. Your faith is so vastly important. The faith that Paul was referring to, it wasn't historical, it wasn't theoretical, it wasn't kind of out there somewhere. Remember the context that we're talking about here? He just got done talking about husbands and wives. He just got done talking about parents not exasperating your children and children obeying your parents. He just talked about what it was to function in a godly way in the work environment and being submissive to one another. Does this sound very, very daily and everyday and common? Absolutely. And now he's talking about our faith. It's that kind of faith. It's not like a classroom somewhere. It's not just, oh, yeah, the historical uh, uh, nature of the church. Let's talk about the faith. No, 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 no. This is every day. This is in your, your most intimate relationships. That's the context we find ourselves in. First John chapter 5, verse 4 says this, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. That's how you overcome the world. First Peter 5, 8-9 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here's the question for you. Is your faith, is your faith in your hand shielding you or on a shelf wilting somewhere? Yeah, I pull out my faith when I'm in time of need. Right before a test, I'm all about my faith. I dust it off. Or is it in your hand at the ready? Are you leaning on the promises of God? Helmet of salvation, verse 17. From, from, from last week, what are we to rejoice in? We're to rejoice that our names are recorded in heaven. Not in ministry success, not in all the other things that will go on, but in our salvation. Don't rejoice that the spirits obey you when you cast them out of people. 
even though that sounds pretty fantastic. Don't rejoice at this great ministry idea that God allowed to bring to fruition. Don't rejoice at the great number of people who are being saved out of your mouth. You're but a tool. Here's what you should rejoice in. Your name is recorded in the book of life. You've got a seat at the table of the king. You're in the family. Jesus saves. That's what you celebrate. That's what you have a party about. Satan is a deceiver. The helmet of salvation was to protect against something called a broadsword. Three to four feet long. person would come at you with a broadsword. You know what they're looking to do? They're looking to take your head off, to decapitate you. They were looking to come at you and whop you alongside the head. If you had a breastplate on, they probably couldn't run you through. But they were gunning up here. And so you were given a helmet. The mind, of course, is something that I've been taught always is what, what the helmet of salvation protects. It protects our mind. The salvation that we have protects our mind, and that's where Satan's going to attack and come after. A, sword, a, a helmet like this, I can only imagine, never try one on, but it's got to be hot and uncomfortable. That's true of most every helmet I've ever worn in a sporting event. But you don't wear a helmet because it's comfortable. You don't wear it because it looks cool. You wear it to save your life, Right? That's how you put salvation on. You don't come to Jesus to get comfortable. You don't come to Jesus because it's sort of cool and hip. Some really neat people are doing it, so you thought you'd do it. You put it on. You understand, this is for my life. So I'll put it on. It's kind of hot. It's not really all that comfortable. But it's necessary. I think it's also symbolic of the hope that we have in Christ. Listen to Romans 8.31. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is, the, this is the helmet of salvation. If God is for you, who can be against you? He goes on to say this, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? If the one who's been given ruler and authority over far above every name that's named has justified you, who is it that can come along and cause you fear? Who is it that can come along and, and accuse you in some way, shape, or form? That helmet of salvation is symbolic of the hope that we have in Christ. We're guaranteed divine protection and ultimate deliverance. Paul was in a prison, yet he had confidence in ultimate provision and deliverance. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this, For by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Hold on to this truth. That's how you're saved. If you are not saved in here this morning, figure it out. Come and talk to me. I would love to share with you what the Bible teaches. I'm not going to give you my opinion on it. That certainly wouldn't save you. Many in this room would love to say, if you have a question, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not positive that if I die today, I'm in a right standing with God. Can we talk about that? I would love to talk with you about that. Find out today. Time is short. And I know, I'm 40 now. Don't be duped into giving this up. This guards you. Here's the question. Do you know and remember your position in Christ? For a lot of us, it's just remembering this, isn't it? You wake up in the morning, you say, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to you, God, today. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. 
Here's the question. Are you trusting in this truth, in this reality, or are you trusting in some other thing? Everything else is like a little little paper hat that you'd be wearing. All right, next week, Ben, come on up. Next week is going to be the sword of the Spirit. Guys, I know, junior high boys are like, get to the sword! We're going to get to the sword in two weeks, actually. Next week, we're going to do just kind of an all-music and prayer time. It's going to be an awesome time in here of worship. And then we'll pick up and finish Ephesians in two weeks. The only part of our armor that we're given that is offensive is the sword of the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. Read ahead through the end of the chapter. It's good stuff. In closing, let me just say this. What does it take to stand and to put on these different things? Let me just give you this picture. Paul is in prison in chains, not wearing a bit of protective gear, and he's fighting the good fight. Isn't that cool? That means that in all circumstances, no matter where you are, you don't have to be strong in your, in, in your position. He's essentially in the dumps in terms of the physical world he, he inhabited. And yet he's fighting the good fight of faith. Trust in the armor and the intel that's been provided to you. Let's pray. God, I pray your protection. I pray your blessing. I pray your strength. I pray your wisdom on my friends in here this morning. We need you, God. We don't come and pray to you to appease you. We come and pray to you because we long to be in your presence. It's better to be one day in your courts, praising you, seeking you, hearing from you, being embraced by you, being reaffirmed by you, than to spend a thousand days apart from you in any exotic location on earth. You are the one treasure that makes everything else look absolutely dull by comparison. I pray that you would grow us up in the knowledge of what it means to be in a battlefield. We trust and have confidence in the fact that you have provided for us the very armor that we need. The very knowledge and intelligence that we need for the mission that you've given us to do. Would you take our church and explode us outward? We don't want what's comfortable. We don't want what's best for us. We don't want to get lazy in our chairs, in our spot, in our style of music, in our program. God, we praise you that you you inhabit your people. You go with us as we step out of this place today. We praise you for that. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers our sin and presents us pure and holy in your sight. And all God's people said, Amen.